Well, we're going to look at a topic today that I've been thinking about quite a bit, uh, specifically because in my secular job, a number of things constantly have me thinking about this topic. Uh, and a lot of what I've seen going on within culture itself. I spent a little bit of time talking about is tolerance all accepting? And I will say this, as we begin to dive into this, um, you really need to listen to the entire lesson, uh, otherwise somebody could misconstrue uh, the lesson in itself. But you really, as we begin to talk about this, you really need to have your, your listening ears on and a little bit of logic. And uh, again, it's not that it's hard to understand from the Scripture's standpoint, but many will notice that what I'm saying is not in alignment with what culture in general teaches. So most of you would not deny the fact that we do live in a culture that has come to accept tolerance for every belief, every action, every lifestyle. Now, religiously speaking, when you begin to take that mindset into the religious realm, the word normally used is ecumenism. Uh, And really what that means is it's the, the practice of accepting all or other beliefs, even though you don't agree with them. Uh, synonyms that people come up with would be things like non-denominational, non-sectarian, and universal, all-embracing, all-inclusive. Uh, it's an attitude which is seen both within culture around us, it is seen within churches. Uh, culture is slowly pushing for an all-embracing society, accepting all, bela- all behavior, all beliefs, and all activities. And here's the thing, and I'll touch on it a little bit later. That's what they're pushing for, but they're not all embracing if you reject the concept. What I mean is, is uh, if you begin to go somewhere where they say, we just love everyone and we're all embracing and they can do whatever they want. If someone were to say, but does the scriptures authorize that? I'll let you know that even though they say they're all embracing, they are not going to be all embracing to a person who questions that. And I've known a few people that that's actually happened to. Guys, the same thing that's going on within culture around us is actually happening within churches. And so I'm going to really try to address both of those as we begin to look at this topic using just some logic in the Scripture. But this all-embracing idea of accepting or condoning all things has become problematic for a number of reasons. Let me just give you a couple of them as we begin to logic through this and before we get into the Scriptures. One of the things that happens when somebody begins to just accept and tolerate everything uh, is the idea that, uh, or what you're doing, is promoting ignorance, first of all. And the reason I say that is, is if everything is actually acceptable, and if there is no such thing as right or wrong, uh, and everything's up to personal choice, then there's actually no incentive to go back into study and figure out, does the Bible actually say that that's okay? Or, Or does it... Does it even matter? Maybe it's not even a a doctrinal matter. But if you just automatically condone everything in life and everything within religion, one of the things you're doing is promoting the idea of ignorance. Now, again, you guys have to recall, I I didn't grow up within the churches of Christ. I grew up in a religious denominational group. I never questioned anything because I was told I didn't have to. We do the same thing when we tell people everything's okay. Number two, it promotes compromise, both in the world and within the church. And in so doing, what it does is it actually dismisses truth for the sake of unity. The idea is we can all just get along and be in unity together, whether or not I agree with that or don't agree with it. And guys, again, that's completely illogical. 
The next thing it does is, is it actually promotes immorality and selfishness because everybody can do whatever they want without any fear of any type of a consequence. And if you look at society, it seems there's always somebody that would accept or tolerate the things that you do. And matter of fact, probably even bring you in amongst their group and, and say you can do that and it's no problem. I'm not going to mention a few that I've heard recently on the news, but I constantly hear things that just shock me to my core that people would suggest that this is okay or that that is okay. And again, the same types of things even happen within churches. And so oftentimes uh, it promotes immorality and selfishness. In accepting all beliefs, many actually will go back and they will twist the biblical concepts of love and many other fundamental biblical teachings. And this leads to intolerance anytime somebody else would actually come back and question whether those beliefs are okay. How many of you guys have ever heard somebody say, the very fact that you're even asking me that shows just how unloving you are to certain groups of people? That's a general statement, but I've heard that. And so again, uh, it's very problematic when somebody begins to question things because people immediately will, will basically call them a, a number of things, or, and we'll touch on that. Here's another big problem as we begin to look at this. Many of the same people who are out promoting that we ought to have tolerance towards other people's, all, towards all people's beliefs and actions and lifestyles are very intolerant of people who do not think the same. Now, let me pause for a second. It used to be years and years ago, Jerry and I could think different than one another and I didn't have to punch him in the nose and he didn't have to punch me in the nose and we could just disagree on things, right? In, in culture, in politics. In religion, it leads to a whole other different uh, set of issues, but that's how it used to be. That's not how it really is anymore. Many people who say they're calling for tolerance are not calling for tolerance at all. What they actually want is mandated acceptance and equality for their beliefs as opposed to yours. And if you're not willing to do that, well, then you're a very intolerant, hateful, spiteful, whatever name they want to give you type of person. Things have really changed a bunch lately, and it's gotten even worse. That's just our culture today. And even more sad is this. If you accept all beliefs, all actions, all lifestyles as being equal and righteous, at least in the sight of God, one of the things that it does is it causes a false sense of spiritual awareness or righteousness. People are walking around literally thinking that how many, guys, how many guys have been to a funeral in quite a while? Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Everybody. Doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what they believe, doesn't matter what they do. They, this, the world thinks they're going to heaven. And if you were to suggest anything other than that, which Jesus clearly teaches on it, but if you were to suggest anything other than that, somebody would say you're an intolerant, hateful type of person. Here's the question that we're going to touch on. Is tolerance all accepting? Did Jesus ever teach that? Does the Bible anywhere teach that? Let's start off with this topic. Good intentions may not be good. Uh, I hear all the time where people say, well, I mean, he intended well. Sometimes people who advocate for accepting all ideas and beliefs and actions actually do mean well. Sometimes it's because they don't like conflict. Sometimes it's because they, they simply do just want people to get along. And I understand where they're coming from. Uh, I don't like conflict any more than anyone else, and I wish this world would get along. Go ahead and start turning over to Acts 23. Guys, sometimes good intentions are not enough, especially when it comes to one's salvation. <clears throat> Listen to Acts 23, verse 1. 
And notice what we have here with Paul. And Paul, earnestly, beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. All right, so Paul didn't have any conscience issues up until this day, right? Before this, I've had no problem with my conscience. Now let's move on over to Acts 26. We'll look at verses 9 and 11. What else do we know about Paul? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus in Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Let me pause. He's rooting them on, right? Yeah, put them to death. He goes on. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul says, I didn't even have a conscience issue. And to be honest, he thought he was doing, he had good intentions. Sometimes intentions are not enough. And certainly for Paul, it was not as he was going around persecuting Christians. I mean, if you go back to what he said, I, I literally thought within myself, I need to do a number of things contrary to the name of Jesus. So here's the thing, though. Paul wasn't the only person to ever have good intentions within our Scriptures. And then to come to find out that good intentions do not surpass the will or the Word of God. Let's go on over to 2 Samuel 6, 6-8. through 8. This is probably a passage not many of you have studied. I know we've covered it here, but it may have been a while. Let's learn a little bit about Uzzah here. Now, Uzzah was actually a really good man. Uh, and as I go into this, so they've got uh, the Ark of the Covenant up on a cart. And they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant. They're transporting it by, by cart there. Uh, I don't have time to go back and do a whole lesson on this, but guys, this is not how the Bible, how the Scriptures told the Jews to move the Ark of the Covenant, right? They had staves that went through the rings. It had to be, there was a certain way that it needed to be done, uh, and that is not what they're doing here. So let's notice what's going on. 2 Samuel 6, 6 through 8. And again, let me pause before I go. Uzzah is a good man here. 2 Samuel 6, 6-8. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. All right, so the oxen are carrying this on the cart, and the oxen stumbles. All right, so he doesn't want the ark of the covenant to fall off the wagon, which they're not supposed to be carrying it that way. So he puts his hand up and touches it, which he is not supposed to do. Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. Notice that real quick, his error. He didn't know he was doing anything wrong. Matter of fact, he had good intentions. He was trying to help, help the ark stay stable so it didn't fall. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased, King David, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. All right, so Uzzah has good intentions in what he is doing here, although it strictly violates the law in the carrying out of the Ark of the Covenant. And he literally was struck dead on the spot. He had good intentions, but he clearly violated the law of God. It says specifically, and God smote him there for his error. And here's what I really find interesting. David, David's reaction. David is angry that Uzzah, who was a good man, died while he had good intentions, but he did something wrong. 
And here's what we'll find out if you continue to go on and read this account in 2 Samuel. The reason David was angry, David didn't know how the ark was to be moved. And so because he didn't know how it was to be moved, he didn't actually know what Uzzah did wrong initially. All he knew was is Uzzah reached up to steady the ark and he died. Well, later they went back to the Word of God and they figured out how to move it correctly and they did what God told them to do the way God told them to do it. And at that point he had an understanding. But when this first happened, he didn't know. He just didn't know. And sometimes, guys, people will deal with consequences in life. They had good intentions, but when you clearly violate not only, for example, public law or spiritual law, there are consequences. Us is not the only one either. Let's go on over to Romans chapter 10. I want you to think about the Jews for just a minute. We were actually talking about the Jews in Bible study. They thought they were doing the same thing, just like we read of Paul who were going around and they were persecuting Christians. Uh, and in so doing, they're literally rejecting God. Romans 10, verses 1 through 3, <clears throat> Paul writes, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Let me pause for a minute. How many of you guys know people who are spiritual? I work with a lot of people who are spiritual. They will say all the time, well, you know, this is what I think, or this is what I think. And I'll say, well, have you ever read this passage? A lot of times I'll quote passages to them. I'll just quote the verse to them. And they'll say, huh, I didn't know that. They have a zeal. It's not according to knowledge. And I would say that entails much of the religious world. They, they, they're excited. They're spiritual. They just don't know. He goes on. But not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Where is God's righteousness declared? Well, right here in the Bible. And going about to establish their own righteousness. Well, how do they do that? They come up with their own rules and regulations. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The Jews thought they were doing a good thing, going around and persecuting and killing Christians. They literally thought that. You've got people today who do the same thing. They've got, the, they've got a zeal. It's not according to knowledge. And since it's not according to knowledge, they're going around and they're establishing their own type of knowledge, their own type of righteousness. It's oftentimes in culture when you hear people say, well, I think that's perfectly acceptable. You can do that. Well, who, who gave you authority? Everything ultimately goes back to the Word of God. Jesus literally warned His apostles that a lot of people are going to do things that they think are okay when in reality they're not, but they're going to think they are. In John 16, 2, Jesus warned His apostles. He says, They shall put you out of the synagogue, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. There are people who literally walk around thinking they are doing the will of God, and in this case, literally murdering people. Let me pause for a minute. I don't care whether you lived under the Old Testament as a Jew or whether you live as a Christian today. Murder has never been authorized. How could someone declare to be a child of God and go around and kill people? And that's what Jesus is saying. These people are literally going to claim to be children of God. They're going to kill you. Sometimes people will justify behaviors that are not justifiable. Just imagine what this world would actually be like if everybody was united as Jesus prayed for. Listen to John 17, 20 and 21. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me, notice this, through their word. They're speaking by inspiration and teaching. That's the same word that we have revealed in our inspired scriptures. He says that they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Let me ask you a question. Do you guys think culture around us is one? Think there's racial division going on? <laughs> yeah. You think there's class division going on? Yeah. You think there's political division going on? Yeah, I could continue on, right? How about in the religious world? We have religious unity? No, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Pentecostal. We don't find any of that stuff in the Bible. What we find are Christians who are united in one, right? We'll touch on that here in just a second. But here's the problem. The problem of accepting all beliefs is that anytime somebody comes back and tries to educate the ignorant or even question, even question something in general, uh, those that simply refuse to adhere to or acknowledge biblical truth, they will accuse somebody of intolerance. What do, you, what do people do today if they want you to shut up? I'm just going to be, they just call you a racist for everything. I heard, somebody shake their head if they heard this. I heard math is racist. Who heard that? Anybody else? I see a head shaking. I've heard that. Is there such thing as racism? Yeah, I don't think math is racist, but it seems like anytime somebody doesn't like something, they just accuse you with a title of some sort, right? Guys, this happens within the church. He's a legalist, right? He's a liberal. The list goes on and on. Why am I pointing all that out? This type of stuff does occur. Why does it occur? Well, when we go back and we look in time, and we touched on it a little bit this morning in Bible study, anytime we have doctrinal error, it is always the result of men who have come and they've set aside the truth of the gospel. And oftentimes what they do is, is they go back and they will misuse or they will misapply scriptures to try to justify that everything or something is okay. Let me give you an example. Have you guys ever heard somebody say, you just need to be more loving? Matthew 22, 37, and 39. Guess what? You do. Matter of fact, I should love everyone, and I can love a person, and I can love their soul, and not agree with what they do, or with what they teach, or with what they believe. Uh, I won't go into details, but I work with some people who do some things that I 100% disagree with. And I talk with them every day, and I'm as polite to them as I am to anyone else, and uh, they would never know that I 100% disagree. Now, if they were to ask me, uh, even though it's a touchy situation, I have to be very careful sometimes things I deal with within the secular workplace, I would lovingly let them know. But I'd never treat that person any different than anyone else. So should I be more loving? Yeah, but your idea of loving and what you're expecting me to do, they don't, uh, they don't jive with the Bible. How many of you guys ever heard this? Well, you, you just shouldn't judge, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. How many of you have ever heard that? That's not what it says. It actually says that I am to judge righteously, which means I am to judge according to the Scriptures. Uh, I agree people shouldn't walk around judging other people without pulling the beam out of their eye, just as we find in the Scriptures. But to say you should not judge, that's not actually what the Bible teaches. It says do not judge unrighteously. You're to judge people righteously. How many of you ever heard this? Well, you should be respectful in matters of liberty. Go over to Romans 14. Well, I agree. We should be respectful in matters of liberty. But here's the problem. Most of the beliefs and or actions that people are calling for tolerance or total acceptance on are not matters of liberty. Right? I probably shouldn't even say it, but I will. People say, you ought to be tolerant on things, you know, secularly like abortion. That's not a matter of liberty. That is murder, according to the Scriptures. So no, I cannot. I, I can't tolerate it. I can't accept it. I'm not going to condone it. That's just one example that came off the top of my head. 
Guys, anytime you begin to talk about things like this, it, people can start to get upset. Now, we're going we're gonna to touch this from both sides because there's no reason for people to get upset. If somebody totally disagrees with me, as we get a little bit further, you're going to realize I'm not going to try to stop you from doing what you're wanting to do. But anytime you begin to hear people th say things like this, you know, how, how many have heard somebody will go on? Well, you really should just desire peace with everybody. Romans 14, 19, Romans 12, 18. I do desire peace with everybody. But guys, accepting all beliefs as being equal does not lead to peace. So again, you've got to think logically here. Um, the only time we get true unity is when we go back and we begin to speak the same thing. That's what unity is. And that's actually what the Bible calls for. Listen to, verse, listen to 1 Corinthians 1.10. Let me pause for just a second before I read it. Guys, let's just think of it this way. Imagine if, imagine if I came up and I preached a sermon like I'm doing now, and I'm giving you all the verses. And after I got done, Jerry came up and said the complete opposite of what I just said. And part of the congregation was like, wow, I really enjoyed the first, ver uh, the first sermon. It was great. But the second sermon I didn't agree with. And other people were saying, I love the second one. Sean's too much of a conservative slash legalistic type person. Do you guys think there's unity within the building? Let's, let's continue to be logical. Is there unity between all the different churches? No. Listen to what Paul tells the church in Corinth, and we know how messed up this congregation was. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That is the only way we have true unity within the church. It comes when we have one mind, when we when we have one love, when we're of one accord, Philippians 2.2, 2, when we keep the same unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. And when we're in sin, guys, we can't expect that we as Christians could simply just go around and find another group and say, would, would you tolerate what I'm doing? Uh, would you accept me as I am? Are there groups that would do it? Yeah. Does the Bible suggest that we can? No. Let's look at the next one. Think about this for just a second. We touched on this this morning. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist was calling for repentance and baptism as he was preparing the way for Jesus. So I thought, you know, let's focus on repentance for just a minute. If there is a need for repentance at all, which the Bible declares time and time again, that rejects the idea of all-inclusiveness or that all things are okay. Let's go on over to Acts 17.30. Listen to what Paul tells the Athenians there on, on Mars Hill as he's preaching to them. And remember, these are pagan idolatrous worshipers. He says, Acts 17, 30, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. We're talking about Christ. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he raised him from the dead. Now let's think logically, guys. If there is no such thing as right and or as wrong for mankind, which is a fairly common held belief, tell me why man needs to repent of anything. I'm just trying to be logical here as we use the scriptures. There is no need to repent of anything if there is no such thing as absolute morality. I hear people say there is no such thing as absolute morality. Let me just give you one example. Guys, do you think that going out and killing people for any reason, murdering people, is okay? Certainly it's not. It's not even debatable. 
Uh, I heard, somebody said, there's no such thing as absolute morality. That's an absolute statement in and of itself. Guys, there are absolutes. And we have to have this understanding as we begin to look here. If there are absolutes, which means there are things that are right and wrong, then the plea for repentance makes complete sense. But if there is no such thing as right and wrong, then there is no need for repentance. And yet Paul's telling these Athenians, you guys need to repent. And guys, his, his plea to the Athenian crowd there still applies today. Let's notice Jesus teaches the same thing. If you don't believe Paul, let's listen to Jesus. Luke 13, 3 and 5. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. They're in the context of this passage. Jesus tells the crowd there two different times they need to repent. Matter of fact, in Acts 3.19, when Peter was preaching there uh, to the crowd there in Jerusalem, he says they need to actually repent and be converted. The idea being you need to repent and turn back to God. So again, logically, for everyone who thinks there is a God, if there is a God, and God does, has a, does have a law that we must follow, which He does, then we have to come to the conclusion that to allow anything and everything to go on is clearly not in alignment with what the Bible teaches. And that puts people's souls in danger. Let's move to the next point here. Tolerance and cultural effect. We're moving right along, guys. We'll be done on time. Tolerance and cultural effect. Uh, this is happening within culture quickly around us, and it's happening within churches. And again, like I said, let me, let me get to the end of this before you draw your conclusion, because... Um, I could be accused of some things I'm not saying. What exactly is tolerance? Well, the definition, again, is the ability or willingness to put up with, without interference, an existing belief, a behavior, an attitude, or a lifestyle or something, even though we do not agree with it or like it. Here's the whole idea of tolerance. The idea of tolerance is that I can tolerate something. I disagree with many things that many people that I work with do and or say. And I can tolerate it because I realize that only they are responsible for the salvation of their soul. And if they want to believe it, they can believe it. And if they want to do it, they can do it. Because I realize uh, that I can't make people do anything. I can teach people and I can try to lead people, and I can tell them what the Bible says, but I can't force people to do just what I think or what I want. And it doesn't mean that I approve of what they do, but I can tolerate it. And so I, I believe in tolerance as far as the Bible teaches tolerance, but again, the, the term is often uh, improperly applied. In some, in some dictionaries, this is the in dictionaries that have been affected by modern culture. This is actually the, to, the definition they have now for tolerance. Sympathy or indulgence for beliefs and practices that are different than one's own. I'm not going to list what this person does, but there's a person I really, really, really disagree with what they do, and 
I don't have sympathy for what they do. I know, I know what the result is of what they do. I know what the consequence is of it. I don't have sympathy for it as this says. Uh, I certainly don't indulge in what it is that they do, and yet they are different than my own. That definition, again, is not even close to the idea of what true tolerance is. Today, the definition or understanding of tolerance has changed from putting up with, accepting, uh, or, or tolerating to, accepting as equal, and approving of that conduct or belief as it's just as equal to somebody else's, right? Uh, anytime you start to get into this topic, it begins to get very, uh, oftentimes, political, and it can, people can get upset. But it's the idea that you basically say, to be a, I'll use one that won't upset people. To be a thief is just as good as to not be a thief. Either one's perfectly fine, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay both of them up and both lifestyles are perfectly acceptable. The Bible addresses that topic of stealing, but I'll use that one because people aren't gonna get quite as upset. In other words, what people want today, it's not for them, it's not for us to tolerate or accept what it is that they do, even though we believe it's wrong. They want us to accept that it is perfectly okay, even though we don't like it. That's the idea of tolerance. It's happening within culture. It's happening within, within uh, churches. And there are a lot of people, uh, as you go back and you begin to talk about beliefs and actions that used to be rejected, it used to be condemned, but they were tolerated. You know, the, the world wanted to do it. Uh, but today, if, if you reject or condemn those very same actions that a few years ago were rejected or condemned, you're basically called prejudiced or racist or hateful or actually in some in some countries uh, you can actually be charged with a hate crime specifically in Canada and I won't talk about that but you can't even literally preach the entire Word of God anymore uh, because they will charge you with a hate crime so now that everybody has become woke within culture and within everyday culture tolerance has become the slogan of the day it's actually gone so far that it has replaced the need for people to use book, chapter, and verse. What I mean is, is when I tell somebody at work, for example, I'll use an easy one. The other day I was talking at work with somebody and they said, how often do you guys take the Lord's Supper? And I said, well, we take it every first day of the week. And she goes, huh, you take it every week? Where I go, we take it once a month. And I said, well, Acts 20 verse 7 says, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. So I quoted the verse to her and I said, when did they take break bread? She said, on the first day of the week. And I said, well, how many weeks have a first day? They all do. So every first day of every first week, they broke bread. Yes. I said, what day is that? Sunday. That's why we do it every Sunday. She goes, huh. Yeah, we only do it every month. She, she didn't even get it, guys. If everything's okay anymore, people don't go back and use Scripture like I use Scripture. I use Scripture to say it's not okay to only take the Lord's Supper once a month, or some do it once a year, or some do it every six months. If everything's okay and nobody has to question anything, many people have gotten away from using their scriptures to authorize what it is that they do. And what has happened? Well, some people have become lukewarm. Some have even gone further than that and have become full-out apostate. Furthermore, if one's not tolerant according to many people's definition of tolerance, they're usually rejected, they're treating with treated with intolerance themselves, name-calling accusations, and I don't think anybody wants that. Uh, but we live in a culture where many, and maybe even the majority, are fearful to disagree with the minority 
as promoted by a very small segment of society because they are afraid that they will be called intolerant, that they will be called hateful, that they will be called prejudice, or something to that effect. Some want to destroy what those they perceive to be intolerant simply by bullying the masses into subjection. I, I doubt you've ever seen that take place, but it happens. You scream loud enough and you scream often enough and you call somebody enough names, eventually people will begin to believe what you say. And they'll say, well, that group of people is bad or that person is bad. It happened to Christians. Do you remember they were literally in the first century saying that Christians were cannibals because they had the Lord's Supper? Remember, we eat of His body. There was a rumor going around Christians were cannibals. Christians aren't cannibals. They never have been. My whole point is, is it's not any different today, guys. In the first century, they were accusing Christians of all kinds of things, and they'll do the same thing today. Those pushing for all acceptance, here, here's the ultimate problem. Those pushing for all acceptance of all beliefs, all thoughts, all lifestyles, all activities, they have rejected the basic teaching of the New Testament. Listen to 1 John 2, 3 through 5, <clears throat> and then I'll move on to the next point. I only needed one verse to prove all of that uh, is illogical, what the world is doing. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 5. And hereby do we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Remember I went back in Acts 20, verse 7 and said, well, here's when we take the Lord's Supper and here's why. <clears throat> I'm trying to follow the commandments of the Scripture. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. How do we know that we are in him? Well, when we follow the word, when we keep his commandments. Guys, again, that rejects the idea that all tolerance is all accepting of all things. It, it clearly just denies that outright. So let's talk about tolerance in the Bible for just a couple of minutes. I'm almost done, guys. <clears throat> As Christians, we are called to treat everybody fairly and honestly. And we are distinctly told that we are to love our enemies and we are to treat them as we would want to be treated. I mentioned there was a person at work, and I'm not going to say who they are or why I disagree with a certain thing about them, but, um, and many people, as a matter of fact, I uh, think disassociate themselves from this person. I go out of my way every morning to call them by name and to talk to them, even though I 100% disagree with many of the things they believe and or do. Why do I do that? Listen to Matthew 7:12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Christians have never been given the authority to treat somebody different based on race, based on geography or where they were born, based on whether they're males, whether they're females. We've never been given any distinction where we're allowed to treat people different. And it doesn't mean if the, if the guy's a thief, I don't treat him any different. If the guy's an alcoholic, I don't treat him any different. If the guy's an adulterer, he's cheating on his wife, and I know it and I work with the guy, I don't treat him any different. Now, I'm, I'm going to let him know I disagree with all of that, but I'm not going to treat him any different. I want him to become a Christian. And if I write the guy off, like many people do, and I hold my hand up to his face and say, I totally disagree with your lifestyle and what it is you do, what are the chances I will convert that person to become a faithful Christian? I won't. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 17 through 19. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, notice this very carefully, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 
Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. As much as I am possible, I am to live peacefully with other people. That doesn't mean I have to accept their viewpoints. It doesn't mean I have to condone what it is they do or what it is they say. But I am to live peaceably with them as much as I can. But again, it doesn't mean that I can't disagree with them. I've seen two people totally disagree with each other and treat each other with respect as they sat and debated and tried to talk it out. Again, I don't have to punch Jerry in the nose or he doesn't have to punch me in the nose. We can sit and talk about it. Is that our culture today? No, we burn down cities and buildings and we cause all kinds of havoc everywhere because people can't sit down and do this anymore. But we need to. Let's look at this very common sense wise, guys. We cannot force the truth or our beliefs on anybody. And if we tried to do it, you would be no better than the group I actually was raised in, the Catholics. Remember during the Inquisition and the Crusades when the Catholics came in and said, you'll convert or we'll just kill you? Or the the Muslims who did the exact same thing. That's the equivalent of what we would become if we tried to force people to do things exactly the way we want, the way we believe. They can accept it or not accept it. And I point all that out because Jesus literally told His disciples to leave people alone that were not going to accept His teachings. Listen to what we find in Matthew 15, 14. Jesus says, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. If I tell you that it's not okay for you to be unfaithful to your wife and you want to go do it, I'm not going to be able to stop you. Go do what you want to do. If you don't want to be a faithful Christian, if you don't want to obey the gospel, I can't force you to do it. And I realize that for me to even try nonstop or force you to do anything, it's not logical. That doesn't mean I'm going to give up. I want you to still become a Christian, but we can't go do that. We do seek to try and persuade people of the gospel, but we can't mandate obedience to those who don't want to be Christians as found in the Bible. Evil things and wickedness is going to occur around us. And guys, if you think our culture is bad, and it is, it's actually a little bit worse than the first century. But guys, if you think of the Roman culture, all of the common prevalent sins that we have right now, they had all the same sins. We have just upped it just a little bit in a couple of areas. But for the most part, today is not any different than the first century. And so we're going to be surrounded by wickedness and sin, and we're just simply told as Christians to endure. Matthew 5.39, Jesus says, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now when Jesus was saying that, he's not saying go out and look to be a martyr and let people smack you around and whatever. He's basically saying, and this is related to our faith, you need to tolerate other people's actions to you because of your faith. But that clearly doesn't mean that I agree with or tolerate or condone what it is that these people are doing. Matter of fact, listen to 2 Timothy 2.10. I'm on my last set of notes, guys, so we're almost done. 2 Timothy 2.10. Paul writes to Timothy there, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now we know how bad it was that the things that Paul suffered. He was persecuted, beat, thrown in jail, suffered shipwreck, starved. Of all the things that Paul suffered and went through, he did it so that other people could be saved. But one of the things I know is is that in all of this, Paul never tolerated or accepted sin or religious error. 
Matter of fact, I'm going to go over to Romans 15, 1 and 2. We learn a little bit more about how the Christian is to interact with people. Romans 15, 1 and 2, he says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. All right. Talking about bearing with weakness, weaknesses of the weak, and we're talking specifically about Christians here, uh, our brethren. That's totally different than non-Christian. Okay. The process of edification requires teaching them truth, and if it was really, if it got to that point, it could include church discipline. But here we learn that that we are to endure a lot, that we are to assist, and, it, and we have to get back to this: that we always are trying to teach uh, the 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 church as far as edifying the church. Let's notice First Corinthians nine nineteen through twenty three. And Paul breaks it down even more for us. Remember how bad this church was. They had so many problems going on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, like a Gentile, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I, made, I, made, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker with you. We're to serve others without compromise, without partiality. Uh, we're to become all things to all men in, in the hopes that we might save a few but none of this ever authorizes, condones, or allows us to compromise the truth of God's Word. So let's talk about this for just a second. Tolerance in the Bible never condones error. Let me give you just a few passages. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. To sanctify is to be pure. Morally pure. He says, do that through truth. Thy word is truth. Remember I said, people today have gotten away from this. They don't use book, chapter, and verse anymore. And that's because they're oftentimes told, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. God's word is the only truth. Listen to what Paul told the church in Galatia, Galatians 2, 4 through 5. He says, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave, the, gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I'm not going to go down and break down what's going on here, uh, but you've got Judaizers who are really trying to impose portions of the law onto the Gentile. And guess what Paul says? We didn't tolerate that for even an hour. Right? Those were things that the Christians... I, I don't live under Jewish law, guys, and neither do any of you. I don't live under the Ten Commandments, neither do any of you. The old law was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. Nine of the Ten Commandments were reiterated by Jesus. The one that was not was worshiping on the Sabbath. But again, I don't live under the law of Moses. I don't worship under the law of Moses. We don't kill bulls out in the front yard. And again, that's what these Judaizers were trying to do. And Paul says, I didn't tolerate that for even a second, right? Well, technically an hour 
But the idea was is we weren't going to let that, we weren't going to let that happen. Notice what he tells the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 5.11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. This is where the world has really... They get upset pretty quick. Uh, especially, you know, so we, we certainly have to reprove our brethren who are in error. But the only way to bring a a non-Christian to obeying the gospel is to actually reprove them of what they're doing and explain to them why they ought not to do that. And guys, when you do that today, guess what happens? You're called intolerant. Is it because it's not true? No, it's true. But we are not to have fellowship, and we'd have to focus in on the word fellowship, and I'm not going to spend time on it. We know what that is. Uh, we'd have, we're not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother, he's talking about a Christian here, a brother or a sister, that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which ye, he received of us. Now we're talking about they are not following the inspired word that was given to them, so if you've got an unfaithful Christian there, this is part of the Church Discipline Act. And I'm not going to go back and touch church discipline. It's covered in a number of areas through our Scripture. But here, we're told to make sure that our... We're trying to assist to bring our erring brothers and sisters back, and part of that is through church discipline. I only got one more passage on my notes, guys. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 11, we actually know the Corinthian church was actually rebuked for tolerating immorality in their presence, and they weren't the only ones. So were the churches at Pergamos and Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2. My whole point in saying that is, is tolerance never, ever, ever condones error. Now, you guys have to remember, though, when we're out in the religious world, they're not Christians. They don't know. And so... What we do within the church of those who do know but decide to disobey God's law is totally different than how we interact with people who are not Christians who do not know. We have to try to teach so that they do know and we pray that they'll obey the gospel. That idea of stiff-arming somebody because they live differently than you, they believe differently than you, you don't find any of that. Now, they may never want to become a Christian. And you know why I can tolerate that? Because I'm not responsible for their soul. Only they are responsible for their soul. They can go do whatever they want. Tolerating what they do does not mean I condone it, believe in it, or agree with it. Here's the last verse. For everybody listening to this online, I'm, I'm not trying to be hateful. I'm just trying to be logical and use Scripture here. There's only one way to heaven. And when, when people begin to say, well, we're all going to heaven or we can do whatever we want, again, it's not logical, but it's also not scriptural. There's just one way to heaven. Second John, we only have one scripture. Guys, here's what's funny. I'm probably using the same Bible that they use down at the Baptist church, that they use at the Pentecostal church, that they use at the wherever. But we all teach different ways to heaven. It's not logical. Listen to Second John 1.9, your last passage on my notes. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Christians do have a doctrine. Hath not God? He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. 
True Christian tolerance is always based on an attitude which rejects error and sin in a manner of love while we're teaching the truth to all. It includes edification and correction when needed. And all of this is for the goal that the Christian would be strengthened, that they would be edified, that they would increase in knowledge, and that those who are not yet Christians would be taught the gospel in hopes that they would come and obey the gospel and become Christians. That's what true tolerance is in a nutshell, and we could have touched on it a lot longer than that. As I draw this to a close, my concern would be for anyone watching this or here who is not a Christian. A lot of times people ask me, how do you become a Christian? And I always say, the best thing to do is go look in your Bible. Because what they did to become Christians is what you need to do to become a Christian. And when you lay out all the conversion accounts, here's what was going on. Somebody was teaching them the gospel. That's how faith comes, Romans 10, 17. After they had heard what the gospel was, that word simply means the good news, as they heard about Jesus and who He was and why He came and His establishment of the church, they had faith, Hebrews eleven six, And Jesus literally says, if you don't believe that I am He, you're going to die in your sins, John eight twenty four. So they heard the word of God. They knew about Jesus. They understood about sin and the consequence of sin, and they had faith, and that faith drove them to repent of their sins. We looked at that earlier, Luke 13, verses... Uh, 3 and 5, Acts 17, 30, and there's other verses. So they believed in Jesus and why He came. They knew they needed to repent of their sins. They confessed Christ with their mouth, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And in every conversion account, the last culminating act to becoming a Christian was to be immersed in water for the remission of sins. That's what Jesus says to do in Mark 16, 15, uh, and 16, that's what Peter told the Jews to do on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38. It literally says in 1 Peter 3.21 that it saves you. It's a burial in water, Romans 6.3 and 4, in which you come up and you are a new person. And he says, it's, it, 1 Peter 3 says it's not a bath. And Paul says you are a new creation when you come up. It's a cleansing of the conscience, not of the body. Once you've done that, you are added to the church by the Lord Himself, Acts 2, verse 47. That's how easy it is to become a Christian. Many today will say, well, just say, ask Jesus into your heart. That's not in your Bible anywhere. The sinner's prayer became popular back in the 30s, really, with Billy Sunday and Billy Graham. Everybody believes it and teaches it now, but it was never taught prior to that, and you won't find a verse for it. You want to become a Christian, read your conversion accounts in Acts. Look what people did, and that's how easy it is to become a Christian. And then once you become a Christian, you need to understand that although you must tolerate Many people uh, who are not Christians and the things that they do in this world that you live in doesn't mean that you condone it, doesn't mean that you accept it. Uh, and regarding the church, tolerance only goes so far as things that are, not, that are not doctrinal, matters of liberty. The problem is, unfortunately, guys, most of the things people want tolerance on are not things which are matters of liberty. As I draw this to a close, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we'd love to study with you more. If you're here and you have a spiritual need that we could address, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.